Welcome to the next episode of Millinery Info. I'm your host, Lauren Ritchie, and thank you for joining me for this episode of Millinery Info. In this series, we join milliners from across the globe and welcome them into your ears and studios. Today, we have Sophie Allport from Allport Millinery. This year, Sophie celebrates 10 years of her label and shares with us the journey so far, from beginning classes online with Hat Academy in remote Australia to the lovely national client base she's created. Thank you to our wonderful podcast sponsors for making this episode possible. Judith M. Millinery Supply House, Hats by Lico, Be Unique Millinery, Lifted Millinery, House of Adorn, Hattis Millinery Supplies, Millinery Australia, Hat Academy, Louise McDonald Milliner, and The Hat Magazine. You can find a link to each of these businesses in our show notes. That's either in your podcast app or through our website. I'd like to invite you to show your support and become a patron of Millinery Info. It's a small contribution a month that helps us continue to keep bringing you this content and most importantly, the podcasts. Thank you to our patrons for making each of these episodes possible. There are three different tiers and all contribute to this production. The first one is as little as a coffee per month as you listen to the new episode and we join you in your studio or wherever you might be today. Head over to patreon.com, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash millinery info to find out more. I hope you enjoy this episode with Sophie. Thank you so much, Sophie, for joining me for today's podcast. It's fantastic to have you on this episode. Um, Welcome. Thank you so much, Lauren. I'm so excited to be a guest uh, amongst all the other fantastic, brilliant, inspiring milliners. I feel so unbelievably privileged. And also, I just get to have a chat with you, which is just a delight. We're going to talk hats, so it's going to be fantastic. (laughs) Let's go back to the beginning because I'm not sure many people know your story of this. How did you first come to millinery or start training in millinery? Well, it's a bit of a wild ride (laughs) and we have to take ourselves back, let's say, 11 years. I've realised today, this, this month actually, or January, was when I first did my first ever real millinery course. So it's 10 years in now, which is super exciting. I haven't like made a big thing about it yet, but why not here? (laughs) Um, So basically I'm a country girl and um, after one or two interludes with uni and another job, I went um, back up for my second time working in remote North Australia. So the first time was in the NT and the second time was in the Gulf. And um, I was teaching, I was a governess on the cattle station, which sounds absolutely bizarre. Whenever I tell people, they're like, oh, a governess, like from England. And they're like, no, not really. A bit 1900. <laughs> but yes, we were very remote and I was in charge of teaching one little girl and she was just a beautiful girl. Uh, but I'd very much come towards the end of the year and I was thinking to myself, what am I going to do? I don't want to do this anymore. Um, I think it's time to go back to a little bit of civilization. And um, in my outside of school time, I was starting to Google and, you know, oh, what can I do? Um, and I had, all, this is, so I'll get back to this, sorry. I've always <laughs> loved going to the races. And um, especially when we were living in remote areas, uh, that was the only time that you ever got to see your friends. So, you know, you made a big effort. You would come to the camp draft or the rodeo and often the races were on the same weekend. And I always struggled so hard to find something that I wanted to wear because, to be honest, in these small towns, some of the stuff was pretty hideous. And I didn't want to spend the money that they were charging when it came, you know, you know it's manufactured in bulk. And I was just like, look, I get it. This is the only option I have, but I feel like we can do better than this. And I'd always been creative. I loved painting, blah, 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 blah. And I thought, wouldn't it be cool to like be able to make things exactly how you want? Anyway, back in the classroom, along my stumblings and Googlings, I don't know, I must have typed in how to make a fascinator or something. Back when I called them fascinators, we don't call them that anymore. And um, I stumbled across Hat Academy. And I thought, holy dooly, it's like the heavens opened up, everything. I was like, what is this? This is incredible. This is incredible. And I think it was pretty new back then. Um, But, yeah, I I logged on and I was like, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'll give it a go. What the hell is Cinebay? 
Um, I'm sure we all had that moment when we first oh, started. It's a, it's a mystery <laughs> item that is just so specific to what we do. <laughs> anyway, I, um, I jumped on. I bought a class. I didn't have any materials, but I just wanted to watch it to see what it was all about. And I was just like, this is incredible. So anyway, I was wrapping up the end of school term. I was about to return home to my parents. So I Googled just millinery supplier and ordered a whole heap of stuff. I had no idea what it was. And I watched the tracking as it arrived at my mum and dad's. And I was like, I need to get home, which was about, I don't know, Days 20, drive. 24 hours drive, I can't remember, a long way, right, from from the New South border to the Gulf of Australia, it was a long way. Anyway, I um, I got home finally and I ripped open the box and there was just an explosion of colourful materials from House of Adorn and there was jelly beans and, oh, it was just the best day ever. Oh, and then the, those jelly beans are yes, delicious. I know, I know. From anyone well, who I used to orders from House of Adorn. <laughs> I used to stash them away and then my boyfriend would come along and find all of them. And, um, yeah, so he would eat them all before I got to them. But anyway, um, so I started that and then I was like, this is amazing. I love this. I'm never going back up north. Or maybe I will, but I don't know, not now. And then I signed up for a uh, randomly, I I was looking at more classes because I was like, okay, this is great but I want to be in person. Anyway, there was a summer school on in uh, UQ in Toowoomba. Yeah. And I was like, oh, this is amazing. Like, let's, like, that sounds wonderful. It was taught by Elaine who ran Hat Academy. And I was like, I'm going to sign up for it. This is amazing. And then I went to sign up for it and it was full, of course, because it was like, it was like two weeks out. Like, mm. of course. <laughs> anyway, Elaine, the beautiful God said she is messaged me and said someone's just cancelled would you like to join us like yes I'm here Turn me off. it's meant to be and so I did I think it was 10 days I, that seems like a lot but I can't remember maybe it was seven anyway Elaine would give us we did all the courses all the classes then we'd go home and we'd have homework and I just it was mind-blowing how much I loved it like I just it's actually getting me really excited thinking back to it I've not really sat down and thought about it all but anyway, it just all fell into place. And, you know, like sometimes those things just, it's kind of too weird to be true yes. or too good to be true. Anyway, I loved it. And then I was like, well, I'm not going back up north. So why not move to Melbourne? That's where all the millinery uh, takes place. So Who did you pick up and move? I just picked up and moved. I was like, I'm young. I think I was like, oh, I don't know, 21 or something. And I moved to Melbourne, signed up for a fashion business course where they actually taught millinery, but I decided to do the fashion business course because I wanted to take my time learning. And then I was, um, oh, House of Adorn was down there as well, obviously. And I was, I just became a customer and I would go in there and have a chat with Kim and Lee and whoever else was working there yeah. at the time. And they're like, Sophie, you're here a lot. And I was like, oh, <laughs> second home. Thank you for noticing. Yes. <laughs> yes. I'm spending all of my spare money here uh, because I need to practice. And that's what you do when you're first starting out. You just practice, practice, practice. And they're like, do you want a job? And I was like, well, yeah, of course. How good. And they're like, yeah, we'll get you to do some samples and stuff. I was like, so you mean I'm going to get paid to do the thing that I'm learning anyway? Perfect. So okay. I became a little uh, worker at House of the Dawn and I guess everything just kind of went from there. Like within a really short amount of time, I just got really into it. And um, yeah, sorry, I just rambled a lot, but no, it's really all good. No, it's that. very exciting. <laughs> and when you were learning online, how did you find the experience? Because you mentioned about being in person with Elaine. How was mm. that transition of, oh, I've been working at home and following along and then to get some instruction that was in person? How was that transition or the difference in that? Yeah. I think for some people it would be um, confronting, but um, I grew up and went to a really small school, really small primary school. So before I got to high school, the most kids I ever had in my class was four. So I pretty much did everything by myself anyway, or I was, you know, in combined class with three, four, five, six. So I was always doing my own stuff anyway. So I just was really independent learner. I just was so excited to learn. I didn't really care how it was delivered. And I think, you know, back in the day when streaming services were only new, the only thing holding me back was the internet connection. So I think, um, yeah, I just, 
I just spent all of my money that I had on millinery supplies and I just practiced as much as I could and absorbed everything I could. And then, yeah, the, um, the, the in-person training really solidified everything, but the, the way that they taught it, um, online was really good because you could pause it and you could try something and you're like, I don't really, I don't really understand what that means. And then once you've paused it and rewatched it, it kind of gives you time to, to absorb all of that information because it is very confronting when you first start, I guess. So and when you came down to Melbourne, um, did you start taking classes uh, with someone down here or did you keep, because um, there's such a library of knowledge on Hat Academy as it is, Yeah. how did you keep um, developing your skills? I did. I did some short courses um, as they came up periodically. But when I was working at House of the Dawn, like, we also had, I think they were either weekends or nights. Uh, every so often we would have a live course with a tutor um, and those students were our customers. So we knew them well and we knew like what they liked. And, and we also had our customers coming in asking how you do things. So we had a good idea of what everyone kind of wanted to learn. So I was, I was always the assistant or the one helping with the, um, with the lessons. So really like I learned a lot by osmosis and by selling the materials. So in order to sell them the best that I could, I took them home to practice. And yeah, I think it, it it um it definitely really helped for me to learn by doing and by being there and feeling the materials and just I guess there's not really you know because when you order them online you don't know what they are until they arrive but when you're there working you, you chat with people and they tell you what they're doing with it and you tell them oh have you thought about this or have you used this stiffener so yeah I think um I really learned a lot from those tutors there and also from the customers really are uh, I think I got a really uh great knowledge base just from bouncing ideas with them like they would need help with something and then I'd say oh well I actually did this so you know maybe this will work or that's a really good idea you know um and then I could apply that to my teaching as well and then I would my learning sorry and then yeah I think you just absorb things as you go yeah absolutely what a great way to learn and to get such be I guess thrown in the deep end like a better word like oh, learning about all these crazy materials <laughs> yeah a hundred percent and also it was so good because I'd be like Kim people are using this can we get this in this is amazing like you know that's what that's what we're doing and she's like okay cool you know um but yeah even like I was I learned how to dye materials there and I hated it because I was always so nervous you've got like thousand dollars worth of paracetamol in one container and if you stuff up the dye job you're like oh so much pressure but um you know I learned by doing and um then we could have a bit more variety so yeah it was a really great learning experience highly recommended if you can get a job in the industry but like off to the side as well um that's always good to start with and did you how did you go in the course did you keep studying the business passion business course at the same time Oh yeah, I forgot we were talking about that. So yeah, it was really good. Um, I actually had the most amazing um, fashion business mentor, Yutona. She was so excited and um, she was working for a, a handbag brand at the time and she actually got me a collaboration uh, with Olga Berg, which was yes. incredible and so early on. And I just look back and think like, what a wild journey and, you know, just in the right place at the right time but she was really um she really kind of because I was so different to all the other students there Mm -hmm. they were all into dressmaking or upcycling or whatever um she just saw that I was already doing it I was not holding back and I was like oh I've got these things in my hands like what can I do with them and so she really took me under her wing and um helped to give me the confidence in myself because you know when you start you're like oh, I'm not really a milliner. I'm just starting. And like, I, whenever a student comes to me and say, if you're making hats, I think that you can call yourself a milliner. Like everyone has different rules, but like, I don't think it has to be such a precious thing that we can only give to a select few and you must be bestowed upon with the title. I think like, (laughs) if you are making hats and people want to buy them, call yourself a milliner and just give it a rest. Like give yourself a pat on the back. You're having a go. When you do, did that course push you to, when did you launch your, your, cause you're all port millinery is your label. When did you launch that along the way? 
Well, at the start, I wanted to keep painting and whatever. So I called it Sophie Allport Designs. That was my Facebook uh, page. So that Facebook pages were quite new then. So I think I just started it straight away rather than having it all on my personal page. And then once I did the fashion business course, they, they're really like, you need to get a, your own Gmail account that doesn't have Gmail on it because it's not professional. And you need to have some form of business card. So yeah. think about a name. And yeah, I just wanted to have, I didn't want to have Sophie in it at that stage. I wanted it to be all Port Millinery so that it was a bit, um, a bit separated, you know, like I didn't want to have my full name, but now I'm like, oh, you know, it's neither here nor there really. Um, but there was also another artist called Sophie Allport in the UK. And so I was like, she's going to she's gonna beat me at these search engines from the start. So why even bother? Uh, so, yeah, so Allport Millinery was born um, in, I think, the first year. And it's been the same ever since. Right. For 10 years. Congratulations. That's quite a milestone. It is really, isn't it? Like, I think you know, they say a lot of businesses fail within the first five years or whatever. And like, you know, as you know, we've had a rough couple of years, but I think like, I think the, the fact that it's a creative endeavor and you get to do what you want and create what you want, like, it's such a special thing that we get to do. And so, you know, um, I've been doing millinery full time for quite some time. And sometimes I think, oh, maybe I should get a job. So I've got some work friends or something like that. But I also think like how many jobs do you get to listen to serial killer podcasts or watch Netflix while you're working? So, you know, it's pretty good. You have your rough days, but it's pretty good. (laughs) Spring Carnival tests us, but most of the time it's marathon. But you also have your now back in... um, Queensland you have Magic yes. Million which is a huge race carnival so I feel like yep. you get a marathon twice a year that's a huge the huge events in well, your calendar you know, I imagine. So funny. Um, Magic Millions is quite big but we also have the winter carnival as well and um, I'm really lucky because I started because I was living in the middle of nowhere so I wanted to have beautiful millinery for myself and now I post my hats all over the world, but all over Australia. And um, in Australia, we're so, so lucky. I don't know about other countries. Obviously, you're going to have viewers or listeners um, from all over the world, but we actually have races all throughout the year. We have the Winter Carnival in Brisbane. We have the Spring Carnival in Melbourne. We have the, oh, I've missed Autumn. Oh, I'm going backwards. I was getting around back around to that. And then we have Magic Millions and then we have Autumn Carnival and it just keeps going around like a lovely little millinery circle. But uh, country races are my bread and butter. Like my country customers are the most incredible ladies. They put so much thought and detail into their outfits and their millinery and they just love it. And that to me, you know, it's so important as well. And so... Really, it's a marathon year round, but yeah. it's a wonderful ride. You know, you have your ups and downs, but most of the time there's something to do. So it's really good. That's so lovely. It's you kind of come full circle in that, like, the country races are amazing. Yeah. Um, yeah. And to be making pieces because some of the some of the outfits that get put together for those race days are incredible. Yes, a hundred percent. And also. Um, I, I saw a thread recently on um, on Instagram asking everyone why they started and it was because they wanted to express their personality and there was a lot of them saying that um, the metro versus country race meets yes. are a completely different kettle of fish and sometimes the fashion is judged that way yeah. and I just think like the country race meet, I, I love metro races but because they're the big ones, but the country race meets the girls plan this and it's their big event and they put so much thought and so much effort into it and they have amazing prizes as well, but it's the whole community that it affects. It brings in thousands, if not millions of dollars into these local economies. And I think a lot of people don't think about that, but it's it's the lifeblood. It's the, the thing that drives those towns and it's just, it's just amazing. So when you were down in Melbourne, did you get involved in going to the like Caulfield and Flemington down here as well? Yeah, I did. I went to Caulfield only once, I think, because um, I just love to go and watch the uh, fashion on the field. Actually, back then, because I wasn't a, a 
signal in her. I wasn't, you know, I didn't have too, too many customers. I actually entered a couple of times. Embarrassingly <laughs> enough, I look back and think, oh, that's an interesting outfit. But uh, it was a way to showcase my style and my wares. And so yes. it was, um, it was really, really interesting to be a part of that, to be able to see both sides of the fence. And I think I, I love being able to put my feet in my customers' shoes, even if they're a bit uncomfortable. And um, and just think, okay, what do you need? You need it to be light. You need it to be comfortable. You need it to be bold and impact and all of those things. But, yeah, I used to love going um, to Flemington in particular, the roses just. And they're worth it just to go see the roses. If you're <laughs> an international um, listener or you're even an Australian, you have to come to Melbourne cup or whatever in cut week at least once in your lifetime I guarantee the weather will be awful uh or it'll be amazing there's nothing in between um Laura I were talking about this earlier but it is just phenomenal to see the roses and the atmosphere and the the vibes from everyone around you everyone's just electric but yeah I do I did love going to them but the country race meets have a little special place in my heart Absolutely. I think for Flemington, my sister and I always joke and say, one day it's going to be torrential rain. One day you are going to get sunburnt. <laughs> one day it's going to be absolutely blissful. And then the other mm-hmm. day, probably lucky dip. And you yep. never know which day is going to be which. So you've got to be yep. prepared for everything. <laughs> Interchangeable <And> something, outfits. <laughs> something that last year just, they didn't, it only got the rain memo, which made it very challenging. Yeah, 100%. One of one of my beautiful customers, Kerry, she was wearing a, a big cristiform brim hat and um, everyone was joking that she had the appropriate uh, hat because it was like a raincoat, <laughs> except she had straw in the middle so she had to protect it. But, um, yeah, you've got to choose your millinery wisely in Melbourne, but this year was definitely a good example of how the weather can change. So now you're back up in Queensland. What mm-hmm. what took you back up there after being in um, Melbourne and being immersed in the millinery scene down here? So my family all um, are around Queensland, New South border. Uh, so really, I just, I mean, I got sick of the Melbourne weather, if I'm honest. <laughs> uh, but you wanted also, sun. Yeah, also, I just, I had that craving for, to be just a little bit closer, like within driving distance, not, 18 hours drive um because you can get a flight but then my parents live five hours away from the airport so it's not really convenient um but yeah I just wanted to be back home a little bit closer to home a little bit better better more consistent weather I shall I say and um yeah I just I'm a Queensland gal so this is this is home for me but you know I'm always open to an adventure so who knows where we'll be next time <laughs> we, we chat we lure you back yet <laughs> Oh, you put a few carrots out. I'll think about it. (laughs) (laughs) And have you, how has your making evolved over the time in the last 10 years? What have you, how have you found your groove in that? Uh, It's a constantly evolving process. Um, I usually try, I I, I try to keep it as loose as I can. I take my um, well-trued inspiration and I don't try and confine myself too much. Because I find if I if I have a sketch or I show a customer a sketch, they think it's going to be exactly that, and it's never ever the same <laughs> as a sketch. Um, millinery materials have biases and weaves and whatever, and you have to just go with the flow. Mine's so, a yes. So um, sometimes I'll do sketches, but mostly I just am inspired by the materials or elements of um, the customer's outfit, or I'll just look at the brands um, that I love and the clothing. Particularly, I love to start with a dress usually. That's my general inspiration, um, what's current. And I just design as I go. I think we're really lucky when we manufacture small rather than big productions is we can plan on the fly. And um, this spring, because of, uh, because we were still last spring, because we were still kind of in the throes of COVID, there were still some ifs and buts. I didn't plan a whole collection like I normally do for spring. I actually did did a little bit of custom work, and then whatever time I had left in the week, I would do ready mades, and then I would release them regularly. And for me, that was just such a creative lift, rather than the pressure to, to put together a big collection. Um, creating things as I felt the emotions and the excitement and 
or you just receive a delivery of supplies and you're like, oh my God, this is beautiful. I have to stop everything that I'm doing and make this hat now. I don't know about you guys, but sometimes to just do what you want to want to do because it looks fun and pretty and shiny but um yeah so I quite I do try and not set too many limits or constraints for myself in the design process because you don't want to create uh interrupt that flow but in this year going ahead I do I am implementing um more time constraints I think so uh creative blocks of time where I really give myself that freedom and then pull the reins in and get the other jobs done so that it, it's it's a more manageable task. I think we all, uh, you know, think we can multitask really well, but we can't. We absolutely can't. You should just try and do one thing at a time. And this is, this is I'm saying this to myself. So when I listen to this podcast, it's like, Sophie, listen to your own advice. <laughs> that was wise advice. We should really follow what she said. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, I'm, I'm, the creative process is an ongoing thing. But, yeah, I just whatever's inspiring me at the time is is kind of where I go but yeah try and keep it loose yeah I think that's a really interesting uh thing what you said there about like making and releasing short blocks because it was such a not to I want to talk about current and future but to go back it's um it was such an unknown time so that's a fantastic way that you could be responsive to what was happening and yeah if there was a race day coming up, you would have been ready. But if nothing came, then yeah, you could yeah. respond in that way as well. Yeah. yeah. And also you're getting feedback constantly from your audience and your customers. And in a way, in a very, very small way, it's kind of a little bit more environmentally friendly because right, you are making what people are wanting, not what you think that they're wanting. So you are not going to end up like, what if you design a whole collection around a specific theme and people don't jive with it. You know, I think it's all about adapting and improvising and, you know, everyone's got their own method to their madness, but this particularly worked for me. And I felt, I felt a lot, like I still felt tired because yeah. spring carnival is a marathon, but I was creatively, um, I was creatively satisfied because I was making what I wanted to make. And it was in response to what I saw out there in the market and what people were asking for like if I got 10 people messaging me saying do you have anything to go with a pink dress I'm like well hell yeah I'm making pink this week (laughs) or I will be making pink now this week I was already going to anyway pink's my favorite color (laughs) you do a lot of great pink (laughs) I don't know why what's wrong with me but I just love pink it's a great color and at the moment, you also, you've kind of, again, come full circle with Hat Academy because you are a tutor on yes. the platform now. How did that come about? Uh, yes, I am so, so unbelievably privileged to be a part of the Hat Academy teaching uh, staff. Um, they have an amazing repertoire of tutors and I just feel the most flattered to be a part of it. And I just adore Elaine and Graham and the team at Hat Academy, they have been like my fairy millinery godparents or <laughs> grandparents, <laughs> whatever you like. Um, but yeah, I started with Hat Academy. That's how I first learned. And now I get to do the exact same thing in reverse where I am starting people off on their millinery journey and I get to feel the feedback and excitement that they have now that they've discovered it because this platform is there. And I just think, like, I cannot express my excitement uh, enough to how how amazing that feels to be in the other seat, in the reverse. And I just, whenever I get a, um, a customer tag me on Instagram, I just, like, I have a little pinch me moment that they're, you know, they could be in Dana. Mm. Like, I didn't even know before I started teaching that millinery is hot in Ghana and I just it blows my mind when these people message me I just think that is incredible that this is reaching all over the world and like I'm just sitting in my studio making hats and then someone's someone's listening to me for hours and I'm like you poor thing I had to listen to them when they were editing and I was like I hate my voice so I apologize to everyone in advance for having to listen to this podcast you can turn off at any time but it'll always be a wild ride anyway um but yeah, I just think what an amazing journey and it does feel very full circle and it's, it's been 10 years and I'm just so grateful that Elaine 
reached out to me. Um, we actually live down the road from each other. So I'm very lucky. Amazing. I get little visits all the time and it's just wonderful. We go for coffee sometimes. Um, but I'm also involved in um, the filming of new lessons as well, which has been amazing. So, you know, the likes of Louise and others tutors that are going to be coming, I get to be there and help them and kind of as they're teaching and as they're filming, I'm I'm in the students uh, chair again and I'm thinking to myself, okay, what questions are these students going to ask? How can we, how can we facilitate their learning and how can we help them get the most out of this? And also how can we, how can we make the this tutor feel the most comfortable and, and at ease? And, and that's what we're doing with our Zooms of late. And I just love it. Uh, we've had a couple with Louise, who I know you're very close to. Yes. And I just love hanging out with the girls mostly and um, having a chat, like just just getting the best out of our beautiful teachers and their skills. And yeah, it's just amazing. So cool. And when you when Elaine first approached you, did she have an idea of what she wanted you to teach or did you get to come up with some ideas about what you might like to share? Yeah, absolutely. So I had been doing leather pretty much since I first started doing millinery. And when I first started, um, was there, wasn't, there wasn't a lot of leather going about. Um, mm. There was a lot of kangaroo leather. People weren't using um, the softer um, sheep leather in their millinery uh, just because it was harder to get. I think yes. a lot of it was being used in garment manufacture. And, yeah, so... I really, really, really wanted to learn leather and Had Academy didn't have it. I did one car- one course up here in Brisbane, um, but that was with kangaroo leather and um, they did a different technique and I wasn't, I wasn't quite feeling like it was how I wanted it to end up. They did it where you um, put it in hot water, but some mm-hmm. of the materials, they would like lose their colour or they would become dull by yeah. being put in hot water. So I just spent whatever money I had on leather and I just practiced and practiced and practiced and then I guess um Elaine was noticing what I was doing and she was like Sophie I love what you're doing with the leather we haven't seen it a lot we haven't seen a lot of classes with it would you be open to it and this was right before I was going overseas for a little um working holiday with my partner and I was just like I don't think I'm good enough for that that's wild like come on Elaine anyway um we spent a little bit of time overseas and she's like oh we'll think about it while you're away um we can always revisit it when you come back and then we came back um late 2019 and got straight back into my millinery and whatever and we're like planning for the year ahead and then um Elaine had been messaging me again like come on Sophie we know you can do it you do beautiful leather millinery and I was like, okay, okay, we'll do that. Um, just let's get back into the new year and whatever. And then COVID hit and like everything just went berserk. And um, Elaine's like, Sophie, this is like exactly the right time to do it because everyone is at home and they want to spend their time doing something that they love. So um, we did all the right precautions and we filmed it. And I have not looked back since. It was the best thing that I've ever done. Like top millinery career highlight. Wow. Just that, just that. The fact that I can reach people wherever they are and they now can do something that they couldn't do before. And I just, I think that's amazing. And for it to be a skill that you had developed and evolved from what you'd learnt and to make it your own is such an exciting thing to then pass on and contribute to the development of the industry, if we can label it in that way. It's so exciting. thing is though like I'm not the only one that does leather millinery or the only one that does it in a particular way I don't know how everyone else does it but I think the thing about like I've always done I've always spent money on classes and spent money on my supplies because the more you practice like you're going to waste so much money so much time so much effort because you're going to stuff things up but the more you practice the deeper your knowledge becomes of that fiber or that material or that style and then slowly but surely you come up with your own method of doing something that maybe other people are doing but it's your way of doing it and your way is different and you are unique and I think it's really important that you spend that time trying to figure out um, what your style is and and just hone your skills like once you think oh this is working well 
how can I make this better? You know, like I definitely don't do my flowers how I first started my leather flowers. Like I used to use the um the chemical stiffener and honestly like I probably nearly killed myself trying to because it stinks so much so and, then, and then the color would come off the metallic one and I'm like well yeah. I can't do this and I tried brushing it and I tried dipping it it was just horrendous um but now I've got like I've figured out how to keep the color in the leather get it the right stiffness and whatever and it does it takes a lot of time and I think like if you're like me you're so keen to learn sometimes you don't want to you don't want to wait five years to figure out how to do it how you want to do it you know so I think that's why learning skills for other people is so wonderful you know um like I mean you can just jump on how to cut and watch a lesson from Louise who's been doing it how many years has Louise been doing it uh, a very very long time and she's, she's very very skilled at what she does <laughs> she's a magician like you can just jump on and watch her class and then you can learn her magician ways sensational and so what other classes from that leather one have you gone on to teach and how did you decide what was going to be next? Um, generally it's uh, like once I'm, so in order to be a tutor, I think everyone who's been a tutor or a teacher of some description, you have to be willing to let go of that style and, and be willing to embrace the fact that people are going to be making that same thing that you're making because you're teaching them. Um, so I was I was done with leather boaters. That's what we started with. And then we did, uh, what was the next one? Oh, my um, spring wire percha. And while that one I hadn't done a lot of, I knew it was something that was really different and it was hard to make. It was so hard to make. And so once I made it, it's actually brilliant now because sometimes if I'm making it, I forget the exact measurement. So I'll just play the video in the background. You play yourself like, oh, back to yourself, do you? <laughs> Only, only for very like leather, I can do with my eyes closed. But the spring, spring, um, sprung my percher, it's very technical. And like, I have to even pause it and be like, oh, okay, that's how you did it. Because you know, sometimes, sometimes you can remember things so well, and then other times it's so technical that it's down to the exact thread. Uh, and so it's actually really handy. But um, yeah, I've done another two. And it was it was just like what was what was I making at the time? What was I kind of over? What was I willing to uh, pass on? And yeah, I don't know. It's all very organic. Yeah, but yeah, Elaine would approach me and we'd have a chat. And um, but yeah, I think it's the same with the other shoes. Like they all have their specific um, skills and and things that they love teaching. Um, like Ian Bennett, uh, he did the um, block making, which is incredible. Like that how he does it I've actually got some blocks here um that Elaine had to get me to sample uh for his lesson to do the pictures because he was flying back to the UK but yeah one of his blocks is my favorite block so it's very precious to me (laughs) but yeah what an amazing what an amazing um thing to be a part of so spoken about career highlights there is there anything else that you've had an experience of or a piece that you've made that makes it into that list as well I want to say that there's a particular piece or not, um, but really uh, my favourite piece is the one I'm currently working on because once it's done, I'm kind of over it and then on to the next thing. I did really, I really was happy with how my millinery award piece um, turned out for last year, the rainbow, I love a rainbow and it just it just felt so happy and, and light. But career highlights, honestly, the whole thing's pretty great. Um, I just, I love, I love when my customers win. I've had a customer win the car before, which was pretty cool. I've had a few in the top, um, top three or top 10 for the um, Melbourne Cup uh, carnival. Uh, but honestly, when my customers just mess, message me and say they felt amazing and they had the best day or the hat was comfortable, that's probably usually a bit of a highlight. But I'll try and think of any more. But I just, I just feel really lucky. Like the whole thing has been pretty good I mean there's ups and downs of course particularly with COVID um, our whole industry was affected hugely and it wasn't always a good time but um, I think the, the bit is if you can find joy in what you're working on at that moment um, I know it's not always easy sometimes you have really difficult customers if you do lots of custom work like I do but mostly I think yeah finding the joy or the sparkle in what you're doing um, the whole thing can be a highlight really 
So when you work with a, a customer for their piece, how does that process work for you? Well, it's different every time uh, because we're all special snowflakes. And um, some customers are unbelievably organised. They know exactly what they want, the exact colour, whatever, and they're very flexible and tell them that you can't get supplies in. Um, and then others are very difficult, but we manage the process through very gently. Um, it's a fine line between um, people being over-organised and then not open and then uh, not having any details to saying, I want a hat. So... I, th- I usually start with, okay, what are you wearing? If you don't know what you're wearing, what styles do you think, um, what style of headpiece do you want to start with? And then we have a timeline and then we discuss what materials so that we know we can get them through those channels because there's lots of beautiful supplies in Australia um, and you have to look through all of them sometimes to find your materials or you can't find them at all, um, particularly with supply supply chain issues that we've had in the past. But, yeah, usually I try and get my customers as organised as they can with what they are going to wear and then we start the design process. I'll ask them, you know, if they don't know exactly what they want, um, if they're not uh, specifically drawn to a piece, I'll ask them what their favourite five of my designs are and then I can slowly piece together a piece um, visually in my head of how I think the, the supplies that I have or what I can get in piece together to make a piece uh, that complements their outfit but sometimes they bring in shoes and that's always fun because sometimes the shoes are epic um sometimes they send them to me and their dresses and their shoes and I'm like oh this is too pretty like I need to put put it in a glass cage or something you know um but yeah it, it the design process changes every time I wish I could say it was the same because it would be much more consistent and less time consuming um but I think, yeah, being flexible with where they're at, but also trying to gently nudge them in a in a direction or an area that's going to use less time because obviously you can't always charge for the time we spend talking to them. Um, and as you know, it can change very quickly. Uh, but, yeah, I think just trying to be positive about the experience, making sure that they're going to feel beautiful at the end of the, the journey. And do you do a lot of that remotely or do you have them come into your studio to visit? I actually do almost all of my hats remotely, which is kind of wild. I do a lot of um, one-size-fits-most styles of millinery. I don't actually do a lot of hats for that particular reason um, because you need so many blocks and you need to have all of the things. So, I mean, I, I want to get into hats a little bit more, but I think more the millinery pieces, um, head pieces was what where I particularly enjoy doing it because I like to be able things to be adaptable (laughs) I have some very regular customers that live in Brisbane and they come in and we pull out all of the things out of the boxes and we try different colors and and that's such a lovely um time as well Uh, but yeah I do a lot of consulting just online um backwards and forwards sending samples or they send samples and um yeah most of it is done virtually so that's the best thing too like you can do it without having a studio or a storefront or whatever um but I also have a very overly protective dog and she's very friendly once she gets to know you but she will tell you if you're not welcome um at the front door but once once my customer the the regular ones that come they know that she's lovely once you get to know her but she's a bit crazy um she takes her studio puppy role seriously she really she really really does she quite often sits directly behind my my wheelie chair and the amount of times I've accidentally rolled on her and she still hasn't learned. She just wants to be close, you know. She's she's my co-worker extraordinaire. <laughs> and how is your studio space set up? So I've got uh, one room in the house um, and then I've got uh, about half of the garage space. So I have my administration desk kind of um, work area where I do my zooms and where I do chatting with you um, and where I write all my letters and things to my customers and then I have a work table and then I have a cutting table and then I have a display desk with all a display covered with all of my hats Um, it's a pretty small space to be honest um, but it it still does the job and I think um I've also worked in a in a garden shed in my early days. So if you feel like you don't have enough space or you're just starting at your kitchen table, 
um, don't stress because it's amazing what you can do in a really small space. Um, and you can you can slowly but surely work up to to what your ideal situation is. I think particularly having my home studio uh, during COVID meant I didn't have to change anything. If I'd had a shop front or a, a studio outside of the house, it might have really affected my business. So I was able to just keep going, um, even if at a slightly lesser capacity or just channeling my energy into my teaching, uh, for example. But yeah, you really don't need a lot of space to do beautiful work. And I think that's something that everyone can remember wherever you are in the world, as long as you've got your supplies and, you know, space for you to, to have your creative um, mess, <laughs> like I do, then you can create some beautiful things. And don't put pressure on yourself to, to have a perfect space either. You know, it is a workroom at the end of the day. There's a lot of, and depends on how you work it can be a big creative mess sometimes and that's okay oh, as well. yes. <laughs> I, I see some people and like what they put on Instagram for in particular and I'm like, that is beautiful. And I know they just keep it clean, but I am not that person. If you see my studio looking nice, it's because I cleaned it because <laughs> I am a creative. I made an effort. <laughs> I, have, I have the way I describe myself is like, you know, Hamish hey, hey, and Andy, they say, Hamish says fast and loose. That's how I like to um, describe myself. <laughs> and with that's it being good, at, you know, it keeps things flowing. And with it being at home, how do you or do you not have rules about like I'm working, I'm in my studio space, no, I finish for the day, I'm going back to home life. How do you or how does that work for you? Um, I've tried really, really hard from the start to set boundaries for myself. Um Probably the biggest difficulty is keeping the fridge door shut because I just want to peck snack. all day. Uh, snack. <laughs> but um, I do start around the same time every day and I try to finish around the same time every day. But um, particularly going forward, I'm trying to give myself a bit more structure now that kind of the COVID survival mode things over and, and so that I'm not working crazy, crazy hours in spring. Um, I know a lot of milliners are nodding their head right now. Um, just really trying to not message message cust or let customers message me late at night. Um, putting my phone on silent mode when I'm with family or friends so that I'm not responding to their messages. Um, just setting boundaries for yourself because at the end of the day, it's your business. It's not your life. You should try and keep those two things separately. So, yeah, I even have like a little time where my google in my google calendar where i should be having a lunch so that i'm not just working all the way through or eating at my desk or anything like that um i think it's really important to give yourself a bit of structure if you do work from home um or and you also it's important to keep track of the hours that you're working on things so that you know that you're you're putting your you know time where it's most beneficial yeah and then also that you're allowing yourself to earn a reasonable living the time that you're contributing to each piece yeah, and have absolutely. work-life balance. Absolutely. And also, I don't know about you, Lauren, but I've, I'm doing a course at the moment. It's made me really think about it. Like, what is your most creative hours? Like, when are you alive? Like, should you be e answering emails first thing in the morning if that's when you're just buzzing after your morning walk? Like, Maybe you should be doing, maybe you should be designing or maybe you should be, you know, dyeing millinery supplies or like whatever. Um, just think really hard about you as a person because you are different and unique. What vibes best with your creative self? That's such an important You know, that's something that I'm really, really asking myself at the moment. Like does this, this if, if you have got structure, does this structure actually suit your style of work? You know, are you dead at three o'clock in the afternoon? That's you know, the do you need the to studio... do some star jumps? <laughs> the studio puppy might need to go for a walk. Well, actually, we have to go for a walk at about 5.30 in the morning now because it is so hot even then. And I, I came back from my walk this morning and it was like I'd been in a sauna, just so hot because it's very muggy and humid here in Brisbane at the moment. So... I'll be enjoying our morning walks when we're a little bit closer to winter, I think. But until then, we'll still do it because our studio dog needs her morning walk. And right, so, so do I. Uh, what's a project you're looking forward to working on that's coming up? 
I'm super excited. I'm a little bit later behind um, than I would normally be, but I'm really excited to get into my winter collection uh, and planning that. And I'm hoping that I can get a new website together at the same time by the time I release it. Um, but yeah, that's really lighting me up. I'm really enjoying going through the process of redoing my website and just changing the look and feel of a few things. And um, but lots of lots of new little things coming this year. There's a few changes, which is super exciting. Um, but yeah, I'm excited to get back into winter collection mode, even though it's really hard to think of winter uh, when you're sweating. Um, but yeah, I'm excited about that. But I'm excited about. Um, some other teaching projects this year. So stay tuned. So exciting. Thank you so much for talking hats with me, Sophie. It was so lovely to have you on the podcast. Well, thank you so much for having me. And I just wanted to say, um, obviously, thank you for having me, but, you know, thank you for interviewing all these other fantastic and interesting people. There have been some of these podcasts that I have just bit my teeth into and I've been like, got no work done because, I uh, <laughs> I've gotten in so into them, but it's so nice to have um, these podcasts in your ears, in your workroom while you're by yourself. You feel like you're you've got some company. So thank you so much, Lauren, and thanks for having me today. Thank you for listening to this episode of Millinery and Fair with Sophie. Thank you to our wonderful podcast sponsors for their support of this series: Judith and Millinery Supply House, Be Unique Millinery. Lifted Millinery, Hats by Lego, House of Adorn, Hattis Millinery Supplies, Hat Academy, The Hat Magazine, Millinery Australia, and Louise McDonald Milliner. You can find a link to each of these businesses in our show notes. That's either in your podcast app or through our website. Also, while you're on the website, you can find a gallery for each of these episodes, and you can see photos of different pieces that we might have mentioned throughout the series. If you've been enjoying listening to this podcast, I'd like to invite you to show your support through becoming a Patreon. Head over to www.patreon.com forward slash info. It'll also show you the tiers in your local currency. The options are a small thank you to Millinery Info, Millinery Info, you inspire me, all the way up to becoming a podcast sponsor. Thank you so much to all of our current supporters and sponsors for making this episode possible. I'm your host, Lauren Ritchie, and thank you so much for joining me for another episode of Millinery Info. I look forward to talking hats with you again soon.